So there's the headwinds that gold should have felt more fully by a higher dollar and especially higher interest rates, it shook, it shook both, most of those off, which is a good sign. Welcome to the Gold Exchange Podcast, where we untangle market and policy complexity using timeless economic principles. For show notes and archives, go to goldexchangepodcast.com. Now, on to today's episode. Welcome back to the Gold Exchange Podcast. My name is Benjamin Vern Adelstein. I am joined today by Dana Samuelson. Dana, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you. Dana, for anyone who doesn't know who you are, give us a little bit about your background. So I've been in the precious metals business since 1980, about 43 years. I spent 10 of those early years working with Jim Blanchard, who's the man most responsible for the private re-legalization of gold ownership. Uh, when I went to work for Jim in 1983, after working for my first two years in a vault, counting and shipping and weighing because I could be trusted, uh, Jim hired me to be a, a coin appraiser, and I was taught how to appraise vintage U.S. gold and silver coins. Uh, I did well there, but they needed some more help in their buying desk. So I moved up to the buying desk, and in the mid to late 80s, I spent 40, 50, 60 million dollars of Jim's money with the industry every year, and I got to know all the major players, who, some of whom are still my good, good friends today. So I started American Gold Exchange. In uh, 1998, we're in our 25th year, so we're a national physical precious metals dealer, and I'm just following what Jim taught me how to do. Let's start with the precious metals. A lot of people said gold is going to face headwinds with higher interest rates. Why would someone want to own a shiny pet rock? It has no yield other than monetary metals, and you're going to have to give up the opportunity cost of a treasury bill or a money market fund or a CD. Are you surprised at how well gold has held up here? Uh, yes and no. Uh, gold tends to trade inversely to the dollar, the value of the dollar. Uh, but we're debasing fiat currencies, including the dollar, at the fastest rate we ever have. So when the dollar gets relatively stronger than other currencies, it pressures gold lower in dollars, but not in other currencies because gold is priced in dollars. Um, you know, gold got a little cheap over August and September after holding in a 1900 to 1980 trading range for about a year when the dollar moved over 101 to 105 trading range on the dollar index and fell to about 18 and a quarter. But then, of course, the war in Israel broke out when Hamas attacked Israel on October 7th, and gold is up 100 and $80 since. So gold climbs a real wall of worry. It did as well last spring after SVB bank failed. It jumped up about $160. Right now we've got a triple top at 2070, 2055, 2045, and a rising bottom, which is a, a kind of a pincer formation, which will eventually lead to a breakout higher. And our debt is just exploding. It's just exploding. And gold likes that. Gold particularly likes it when interest rates go down. And by that, I mean if the economy goes into a period of weakness, which I think we're entering now, mildly for right now, more so I think will come next year. If the Fed lowers their Fed funds rate or they're forced to stimulate, to really stimulate the economy. By stimulate, I mean radically drop interest rates again. I don't think we'll get to 2%, uh, zero, but we could get to 2%. Or if they, especially if they have to go back to QE and they're printing more money, gold has explosive potential. 
So there's a lot of reasons why gold should go higher and not many why it should go lower. So you've got uh, central banks are buying gold at a record rate. You've got the de-dollarization movement. You've got interest rates that I think are topping out now. I think we're, the Fed's at the end of the rate hike cycle and treasury yields are probably peaking about now. So there's the headwinds that gold should have felt more fully by a higher dollar and especially higher interest rates, it shook, it shook most, most of those off, which is a good sign. Let's talk a little bit about silver as well. So there's a lot of investors who say, I understand how gold works, it kind of moves on its own, but is silver moving differently? Do you see a different story, a different narrative here for silver versus gold? Yes. I'm gonna add one more comment to the gold section, which is no counterparty risk. Gold is the only asset that isn't simultaneously one of the only assets that isn't simultaneously someone else's liability, which is why central banks are buying it at a record pace. Now, silver tends to oscillate in price at a wider range than gold does. So if I do this on camera, if gold goes like this, silver goes like this. And it tends to lag when gold makes a run. But then when it plays catch up, it can play catch up with a vengeance. And so what happened when the COVID economic closures came and the government you know, did in a few days what they took a couple years to do with printing money uh, back in 2020, the gold ran from 1600 all the way to 2070 and silver couldn't get up above 1875 for about six months. But when it did, it ran to 29 on a bullet, on a bullet. Now it's settled into a pretty much a 21 to 25 range since then. And right now, it's, it's a little disappointing. The gold to silver ratio is about 85 and a half to one, which means silver is cheap. So you know, if you're worried about having true, portable, transferable wealth, that's what gold is for. I do think silver has a higher profit opportunity, but you have to be patient. Do you think that in terms of the competition between alternative currency options, clearly most people are not looking at a yen or a ruble or a rupee. They're either looking at the dollar, they're looking at gold or silver, and then there was this kind of cryptocurrency craze. Do you think that craze is over and people are moving to the metals, or do you think that crypto craze has more you know, air in that bubble? Well, Bitcoin you know, is the poster child for cryptos, right? And it, it's run from you know, 10,000 to 65,000 really got a lot of young people very, very excited. But its crash down to 17.5 showed them how volatile it can be. And now Bitcoin's what, about 36,000 today? I'm not quite sure the exact number. But what's happened since the Bitcoin fell hard, uh, some of the people, mostly younger people that were in cryptos have come into the metals markets because it's a safer alternative currency. There's no doubt that Bitcoin took some market share from precious metals. But the way all governments are printing money and growing their debt, I wouldn't want to be in anything other than like commodities, land, real estate. Um, Bitcoin is more correlated to mainstream assets now than it has ever been before. So it's not going to have the volatility that it's had. Uh, but um, whether it's going to have real volatility still, who knows? Let's talk about some of those other options. We've got commodities, real estate. A lot of people are saying, I'm looking at commercial real estate. There's a tsunami of debt coming. Do you think the, the picture is, is dire or do you think it actually might be a little bit more rosy than we've seen? Well, I actually talked to someone who's uh, more intelligent than I am on this this past summer, uh, who's well-placed. And th there is 1.5 trillion of commercial real estate loans that are gonna reset in the next two years 
from about two and a half, three and a half percent interest rate to what, seven, eight, nine? And it's going to break the ability of some of these uh, companies to hold that real estate. We've already seen marquee properties go for sale for 20, 30 cents on the dollar in San Francisco, which has its own unique set of problems, but other places too. So there'll be more of that, and some of that could ripple into the banking sector, because who's originating the loans? The banks. But my colleague, who is very knowledgeable, said he thinks, because I was asked the same question that you just did, what do you think? And he said he thinks that the, uh, there's nobody really holding a big bag. A lot of, a lot of players are holding you know, one or two of these, so it's more diffuse. So it may not be as big a problem as it could be, but you know, dominoes are weird these days. You never know when one's going to fall and topple something else. And the banks do have liability. And let's talk a little bit about the banking crisis. It seems like the Fed has done magic. There was a banking crisis, SVB, Republic, and they just kind of put their finger in the hole and the dam has been stopped. Do you, do you see the banking crisis is over or is there actually still more to come? Well, you know, the Fed can take these treasuries that are upside down on banks' balance sheets and give them full credit for the, the, the maturation value of the bond and hold them to maturity. They have that ability, which is what prevented a true full-on banking crisis like we had with the commercial, with the real estate market back in 2008. That's really the only thing that prevented it from happening. So they did literally put their finger in the dike and stop it. Um, the problem I see with the Fed is they may, they may be start, they may be starting to lose control over bond yields now. Because investors who are investing with the full faith and credit of the U.S. Treasury may want higher returns to actually put, tie that money up for two years, five years, 10 years, or 20 years. Um, so I do think that the bigger problem could be the Fed losing control of the market. And it feels like that's starting to happen now. Let's take the counter argument to that, which is that, okay, there's these other countries, they also issue bonds. Argentina, Russia, India, nobody wants their bonds. So could there be a flight to safety to something like a T-bill, even though you know the dirtiest shirt in the argument still applies, but maybe the flight to quality, the flight to safety is to a T-bill? What do you think about that? Oh, definitely. So you know, if you can get 5% yield with, with low risk, perceived risk on a shorter term treasury, you know, I, I, that really makes a lot of sense. I'm, you know, I think the strategy there, if you want to try and do that, is to invest in 30-day treasuries and stack them. So you, you're, not, you're never fully committed to more than about 90 days or maybe 120 days, depending. And you're not, you know, tying up your money if, when other opportunities come. I do think we'll have uh, real estate values that are lower. There'll be a buying opportunity in real estate in the next year or so and perhaps some real sales in commercial real estate. So we'll just have to see. And then quick question here. So we, we talked a bit about the Fed pivoting, lowering rates. Do you think that the 2% interest rate is the new zero? Or do you think that we're going to break through zero and maybe even beyond into a negative interest rate environment? No, I, I think the Fed is convinced that they would never go to negative yields, period. If they were going to do it, they would have done it already. I do think instead of zero, 2% is the basal value, the bottom. I don't think they can ever really go much lower than that. I do think inflation is going to come off a bit more, but it's going to continue to be sticky. It'll probably hold in the 3 to 4% range, um, unless the economy really tanks. And then, you know, inflation could fall lower, 
And then we might see, you know, slightly lower than 2% interest rates, but not much. But that would be explosive for gold. And, and, and let's talk about that inflation question. A lot of people said we're, we're, it's inflation's for good. We're going to hit stagflation and structural inflation is here to stay. Do you buy that argument? Do you think that the Fed has done, you know, the work to put away inflation? Or do you think that we're, we're in a new inflationary environment? Oh, I, we're definitely in a new inflationary environment. Um, that's anybody's guess. You know, in the 60s and 70s, we had three waves of inflation right. that were starting about 66 to uh, 71, then 71 to 74, then 76 to 80. And each wave was bigger than the previous one. And it primarily happened because Richard Nixon talked Arthur Burns into lowering rates so he could get reelected in 72, you know, ahead of that election. So the economy was better before inflation was snuffed out. And Powell knows this, which is why he keeps repeating over and over, higher for longer mantra. And I believe they've made two policy errors in the last five years. They overstimulated for COVID because he said, we thought the kitchen, you know, the, the whole global economy was coming apart at the seams. And he finally gave his mea culpa in the December 21 press conference following their meeting then. And they literally, you know, created so much simulation, simulative money. Uh, so they threw the kitchen sink at the problem and then they under responded to inflation. It's transitory. Well, no, it's not. But now it's legacy for Powell. And he's really concerned about trying to do the right thing before he retires. So I really think that they want to make sure that they get inflation contained. But whether it's structurally or not, it's too soon to say. The verdict's still out there. Let's talk about Powell for a second. A lot of people have said there is a chance that depending on how the next 6 to 12 months go, Powell will be replaced. Do you see that as a possibility or do you think Powell's here to stay? I don't know. Um, very possibly. I don't know what is the length of his term. Uh, if Donald Trump becomes the president, I think he'll replace him. If Joe Biden wins the, re the election, he may not. Yeah. And do you think that the people waiting in the wings are even more dangerous than Powell himself? MMT advocates, people who want to fix climate change with Fed policy. Do you think that Powell is, although a problem, better than some of the other options? Well, it's really disappointing to say and to see that the Fed has become much more political over the last five or 10 years. You know, they're supposed to be independent and they are responding to political pressure now. So I think worse could come rather than better. I truly do. Let's talk about some of the indicators you're watching. What are some things, not unknown unknowns, because no one knows what those are, but some maybe known unknowns. We know that this is a problem. We don't know how bad. Something that you're watching, some indicators, some articles, some stories, or even books that you're reading to kind of keep you abreast of the situation. Well, I, I, I'm a, a news junkie. I follow the daily news and anything that affects gold like a hawk because it affects my day-to-day -day market. Uh, and I want to try and give my clients as much forward information as I can that's accurate. Um, so I'm not really looking out more than about six months or a year because things change. You know, as I like to say, the world's round and you can't look too far over the horizon. Um, but I follow the value of the dollar against other currencies. I follow Fed policy, although I think Fed policy is becoming less impactful, and we're seeing that right now. Uh, the de-dollarization movement and the BRICS, the rise of the BRICS is certainly something we all should be watching. Uh, you know, that's going to grow. Now we have a global conflict. 
and uh, interest rates. Interest rates are very meaningful to gold. Coming up on our final question here, what's a question I should be asking all future guests of the Gold Exchange podcast? Um, why don't you own more gold? It's a great question. <laughs> they, well, we don't, the reason is we don't have a gold culture in this country. That's true. Every other country in the world that's had a failed currency understands why gold is important. And we've never had a failed dollar. But we're headed towards one. If we keep going down the road we're going, it's a bad situation. It's going to get worse. Our debt's going to continue to go a lot higher. And gold has tracked the debt increase pretty directly over the last 20 years. Our debt's up sixfold, and gold's up sixfold. It's lumpy because it tends to climb a wall of worry and then it'll back down when things settle. But gold has really set higher highs and higher lows as our debt has climbed materially over the last 20 years. Yeah, and I do think part of that education is difficult because of the privilege of being an American. You have a strong currency, you have a strong economy, there's kind of no reason to look for alternatives versus other countries, Turkey, Argentina. You have to look at alternatives because the currency is not able to be trusted. And that's why those countries have a culture of gold. Right, so the real insulator for the U.S. citizens is the fact that the dollar is the world's reserve currency and things are priced in dollars. So when commodity prices go up and down, yeah, we get those price fluctuations, but we don't also get currency fluctuations as well, which is a double whammy. Because if a commodity prices go up and your currency price loses value, the value of your currency loses value, then instead of oil going up 20%, in your currency it could go up 40%. Now, if the BRICS ever replace the dollar as the world's reserve currency, we'll feel that too. And Americans will be slapped in the face by that because most people don't get it. Where can people find more of your work and read, understand your point of view? So our company's American Gold Exchange. We're in Austin, Texas. Our website is www.ameragold.com. We have an information-rich website. There's live, transparent pricing. We focus on uh, competitively priced, widely traded, immediately liquid items that, you know, if you buy something from us, you can sell it anywhere easily, uh, or you can store it with money metals easily, right? And um, uh, we also try and educate our clients as much as possible to help them. So amergold.com is our website, and that's where people should go. Dana, I want to thank you so much for joining the Gold Exchange Podcast. Thank you very much. It's been my pleasure. Absolutely. This episode was brought to you by Monetary Metals. Monetary Metals is a different kind of gold company. Others buy and sell gold. Monetary Metals operates the Gold Yield Marketplace, a platform of products that offer a yield on gold paid in gold to investors and institutions, and are gold financing simplified, reliable financing denominated in gold with a built-in hedge for gold-using and gold-producing businesses. To learn more, visit www.monetary-metals.com. See you next time.